On today's episode, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has a brand new trailer. We have a working title for Venom 3 that may give us some insight as to who the bad guy is going to be. James Gunn confirms that Superman Legacy may start shooting a little bit sooner than we thought it might. Can book authors step in and finish scripts from screenwriters during the WGA strike? We're going to talk about that a little bit. The Supernatural spinoff show, The Winchesters, has been canceled after only one season, and it looks like more are going to follow. Monica Bellucci has joined Beetlejuice 2 as Beetlejuice's wife. And according to box office projections, Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse may finish with as much as triple the opening weekend box office as the first one. We'll talk about that and the whole much more. The John Gabby Show starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet, the John Gabby Show. Coming from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you guys can have your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Joining me in the room, of course, we got Ray back there. We got Jen running the show as Jonathan. Chris Carr is here. And most importantly, you guys are here. We do have a bunch of stuff to talk about here today. Before we get going, a little bit of housekeeping. I want to remind you guys that we have a podcast feed of this show. If you want to listen to this show anytime, go on your favorite podcasting app of choice and just search for the John Campia Show podcast and subscribe to it today so it'll be there when you need it. All right, guys. With that down, we do have a bunch of topics to get through here today, so let's get things started with this. I think it is fair to say that my two most anticipated films for the rest of the year are Dune 2 and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, probably Dune 2 a little bit higher than Across the Spider-Verse, but I don't know. It, they're really, really close. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was an absolute home run, one of my most pleasant surprise movies of all time because I fully expected that movie to be garbage, and I loved it. I love going into movies and then getting like shocked like that. I, there's nothing better than going into a movie that you think is going to be bad and you walk out loving it. It's like one of the best feelings ever it's like going on a blind date when you you know you thought the place was gonna be super expensive and it, you know they end up choosing mcdonald's that's a that's like a good day that's a fabulous date what what i'm cheap what can i say okay anyway so with that all said spider-man across spider-verse is coming the countdown is on the tickets are on sale all that kind of stuff and they just put out what i believe is the final trailer and every trailer for this movie has just gotten better and better and here's the thing. They showed something in this trailer that I believe they showed us not at this most recent CinemaCon, but last year's CinemaCon. Last year, over a year ago in Vegas, they showed us this whole sequence of that of Miles's parents in with the teacher and talking. But we got to see the whole sequence of that, and it's hilarious. And they put a little bit of that in the trailer. I love the little joke at the end of this trailer. There's nowhere to run. Turns out there was somewhere to run. My I mean, that that was great. And I love the fact that he's got that line about how, you know, Miguel's saying, you got a choice to make. You can save one person, you can save everybody. And Miles is like, I'm not going to let people tell me what I can and can't do. I, I, he can do it all, right? Which is very a Spider-Man thing to say. 
Um, my anticipation for this just keeps growing more and more every single day. Chris, you had a chance to see the trailer for this. What did you think about what is most likely the final trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? This looks fantastic. I'm so excited about this. And I love the inclusion of Spider-Cat, which is not just a gimmick. That is a canon character from Earth-999, and I believe also on 1048 as well. There are different incarnations of Spider-Cat, a cat who is a domesticated home cat who then gets a spider totem. And you'll be happy, John, that cat dies. Oh, um, it's, so, so, it's, so it's a, it's a feel-good story. It's by Bora. It's very sad. So I really, really like all these little Easter eggs that we're already getting little glimpses of from these trailers. It gives me a lot of encouragement that when we sit down to watch this movie, there's going to be so much stuff for Marvel comic fans to enjoy. But these movies also are so accessible for people who don't deep dive the comics or anything the story of miles is so so easy to just tap into for your general movie going audience and i think this trailer really solidifies that of yes there's a lot of different spider people yes there's a lot going on but if you loved the first one it seems like it's just upping the ante on everything you enjoyed in spider-verse i get it. it's got that that kinetic pace to it it's got mm -hmm. the whimsical kind of dialogue Miles, I mean, the character of Miles Morales, if you don't nail that character, these movies don't work. And all of his personality from everything we've seen so far just oozes through. So I'm dying to see this. So we're going to talk about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse a little bit more a little bit later in the show. But guys, right now we're talking about the trailer. And the question is for you. What do you think about this new trailer? Probably the final trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Did you even see the first one? Where's your anticipation level? Did this trailer raise it, do nothing, lower it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do another off the top, and that is this. You know, one of the comic book movies that I think is truly underrated, not as underrated as Man of Steel per se, but that I think deserves a lot more credit than it gets is the Venom franchise. I really like the Venom movies. Um, I think I liked the first one more than most people did. Granted, I went back to the theater, saw it multiple times. The movie came out of nowhere, whereas everybody in the world was saying, a Venom movie without Spider-Man will never work. Nobody cares. No one's going to go see it. Guess what? That movie made, Ray, you're going to have to double check me, uh, fact check me on this, but I think it made over $800 million. More than Black Adam. Or <laughs> Twice, It's actually two Black Adams. More than double Adams. the amount yeah. of Black Adam. Um, if not in the 800s, and it was in the high, high, high 700s. At any rate. Yeah, it's eight, 856. 8.56. $856 million this thing made. Less, about $144 million away from being a billion-dollar film. And I thought it was a blast. I, I loved the humor in it. I loved the dichotomy between the symbiote and uh, Tom Hardy. I just thought it was all wonderful and a lot of fun. I didn't think Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, was as good, but I still really quite enjoyed it. And despite the fact that it was still kind of in the throes of the pandemic, that movie also made over $500 million at the box office. 506. 506 at that context. In that period of time, while everything was still majorly reeling from pandemic and everything, that thing still made over $500 million. This franchise has made well, like around $1.3, over $1.3 billion between the two. So obviously they're going to make another one. Well, now we might have a little bit of insight as to what this third film might be, because according to some reports going around the working title, which probably will not be the final title, but apparently the working titles come out and the working title may give us a little bit of a glimpse into who the villain might be. This comes to us from the folks at Screenwriter wrote, Tom Hardy's next adventure with his symbiote alter ego is being produced under the moniker Orwell. 
While some fans suspect this to be in reference to author George Orwell, which would be understandable if you think that, known for penning novels such as 1984 and Animal Farm, others have pointed out the name's connection to Marvel Comics. Orwell Taylor played a key role in the 1992 comic book series Venom Lethal Protector, wherein he swears vengeance against the title anti-hero after Venom smothers his son Hugh to death. Struggling with grief, he recruits some of his child's grieving armage army colleagues and outfits them with high-powered armor, christening the group The Jury, which, by the way, is one of the coolest names for a vigilante group. The Jury, and sends them on a mission to bring Eddie Brock down. All right. Now, it should be pointed out that at this point, that is pure speculation. I mean, what was the what's the famous working title for Star Wars again? Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon. Yeah. Again, which has had like no connection, nothing. We've heard lots of what working titles are. What's that? Isn't it Blue Harvest? Like the family guy? You know what? You're probably right. Blue Harvest. I think you're absolutely right. Has really absolutely no connection. We've seen lots of movies that had these secret working titles where at the end of the day, they had no connection. But sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. So in this case, is them naming, is them having the working title Orwell, is that a little bit of an indication because we know there's a lot of influence that's been taken from Lethal Protector, right? Uh, Tom Hardy said that himself. So could this be an indication that maybe that's the storyline we're going to be getting? That Orwell Taylor is going to kind of be, I'm not going to say bad guy, but antagonist maybe to Venom in this film. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess no, it's not. I think it's just a clever working title, but you certainly wouldn't be crazy if you think it is. And I think it's something we need to keep our eyes on. Anyway, Chris, you saw this. Is this working title of Orwell, is this something that could be giving us a little bit of insight as to who the antagonist of the next movie will be? Or is this just a random word they're using as a placeholder? No, I think this should be a kind of direct correlation. Not necessarily Venom having killed somebody and them seeking revenge for the loss of a son. Um, unless it's someone who we've seen him kind of take out before. I don't think it's going to be somebody as, you know, altruistic as a former military member. Maybe someone who's corrupted and things like that. But I do think using that title is a very, very key element here and that it really, really probably is the jury that he's going to be dealing with. And before some of you too think, well, Venom, a symbiote dealing with a bunch of guys who band together to deal with him, that doesn't sound as intimidating or as big as dealing with Carnage or something like that or the various symbiotes or things we've seen in Venom. Um, These guys are all armed with a technology that is specifically designed to screw Venom up. Sonic blasters, fire, things that he is vulnerable to and sensitive to, right? And also at one point, U.S. Agent was part of this group. Now, I doubt we're going to see that in here. We're not going to have Kirkland Captain America in this movie. I'm very (laughs) doubtful of that. But... I think this could be a really, really interesting concept, especially if we're diving into the dichotomy of how Eddie Brock still doesn't feel quite settled and right with the symbiote, you know, of is this something that still is in my control? Is this creature something that should still be with me? Are, am I living the life that I should be living or is the symbiote still sometimes in more control than he is? That sort of stuff. I think that kind of exploration into his character could be really, really cool. And this is a really group, great group of vigilantes to kind of explore that with. I am curious to if they're going to address or what they probably should do is completely abandon. The end of Venom 2 had a post credit scene that I've, I've heard louder pops in theaters, but not many. When in the post credit scene of Venom 2, you know, everything goes to hell and 
Tom Hardy wakes up in Tom Hardy's or in Tom Holland's Spider-Man universe. And the whole audience in my theater went bananas. Not quite as much as when J. Jonah Jameson showed up at the end of the one Spider-Man movie. Yeah, there it is there. The whole theater went totally bananas. This is an incredible setup. The crossing of the streams turned out to be some meaningless post, another post-credit scene. It was just a setup for another post-credit scene where we see Tom Hardy not interacting with anybody from the MCU, just saying, oh, I've been at this bar all day. Okay, I better go. And like one little drop of the symbiote stayed behind. And I, I mean, I wonder if they'll go further with that and pursue that or if they're just going to abandon it. I think... They're just going to abandon it because I, that was one yeah. of the biggest teases that led to nothing Absolutely. ever. I think that that was them dealing with it was, oh, we saw him in there. Yep. He and Denny Rojas hung out and now we're done. Oh, that's right. That was Denny Rojas. Mm -hmm. I totally forgot about that. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I mean, I know not the Venom movies are not for everybody and maybe you're not even looking forward to the third one. I certainly am. What do you think about this Orwell as a working title? Do you think that could mean anything? Maybe it means absolutely nothing. What do you think they're going to do about the post credit scene in Venom 2? Are they going to pursue that more saying, I don't feel completely whole. I don't know. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move on to our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics on the John Campion Show? Well, that's easy. You guys come up with our main topics. See, whenever you come across a big topic issue or story and you think we absolutely should have that as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you'll see a form, fill it out with your topic or question, hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the show. With that down, our first one here is about James Gunn's upcoming Superman movie. Chris, what do we got? This is from Aaron B. Hey, guys, I divested myself of all my Bitcoins and went all in on Europussy. I expect to be rich by Brilliant. summer. Ah, wonderful. Jonathan, is that a sound investment? Well, you know what? It really is keeping up with inflation right now. Excellent. I mean, so good. good to hear. I, 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 that, I that's what you got to get. Investment <laughs> in gold and Europussy. Oh, gosh, we're so lucky to have you. Good job, Aaron. Okay, so probably my most anticipated movie after watching Guardians 3 is Superman Legacy. I just read that in an interview, James Gunn has confirmed that the movie will start shooting in January. That's just eight months away. Do you think that with, this, with it still being eight months out, that all the strikes will be settled by the time it's supposed to start? Or do you think there could be delays? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, look, I, I thought one of the best pieces of news, other than Hugh Jackman coming back to play Wolverine in a Deadpool 3, that we've gotten in the past year or so is that James Gunn and Peter Safran were taking over and becoming the new heads of DC and the new shepherds of DC. I, I think that was the beginning and, and the flare going up into the night sky signaling that good days are ahead for DC. And when they announced that Superman Legacy was going to be a movie they were going to probably kick things off with and that James Gunn had written it himself, I think most of us, you guys at home, us here, I think most of us then put two and two together that, you know, just like a new TV series will bring in the biggest heavy hitter director to direct the first episode and kind of set the tone, we all kind of figured James Gunn himself should probably direct Superman Legacy since it is the first new chapter of this brand new DC, it would make sense for James Gunn to come in. And sure enough, they announced that he will be directing it himself. It's coming out not until 2025. So it's still a ways off. 
But a lot has been hearing that it might be closer to going into production than we thought. And James Gunn has indeed confirmed that just eight months from now, they're going to start production on Superman Legacy. This comes just from the folks over at CBR who write, Gunn has now shared an exciting update on when the movie will start production. During the Wired interview, Gunn revealed that Superman Legacy starts shooting in January of 2024. The director also confirmed the movie's pre-production has started, with a recent report claiming Superman will not be impacted by the WGA strike, as Gunn delivered the first draft of the script days before the strike began, and the movie only begins filming next year. Now, it's interesting that they wrote that he submitted the first draft. I had heard that he had finished... He submitted the final draft. He he submitted the actual shooting copy. So I believe that that's all said and done. All right. So, yeah, there's there's that word I love using, the tangibilization. Like, all movies are theoretical until the machine actually starts moving. They're in pre-production already. Gun confirmed that they're already in pre-production. Storyboards are being made. Models are being done. Costumes are being designed. Sets are starting to be constructed. Location shooting or location scouting is underway. All that kind of stuff. And they start rolling cameras in January, just eight months from now. So everything is in full swing. Like most other projects right now, the question that a lot of us are going to have is, how will this writer strike impact it? Or could it derail it or push it further back? It's unlikely that the writer strike will impact it, but it is possible. See, it's unlikely because of a couple of things. Number one, the script's done. James Gunn's got the script done, so that shouldn't have too much of an impact. Secondly, the they're not shooting for another eight months, which it is hard to believe. I think even the most skeptical person to believe that this strike will still be going on eight months from now. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but I think that the 2015 one lasted three months. Three months, yeah. And that felt like forever. Well, and the repercussions of it were so much it had longer. a rippling effect, yeah. much like the pandemic. Even when the pandemic's over, we're still feeling the impact of Absolutely. it today. And I think that's going to happen. So I think the fact that it is eight months out protects it. Now, the one thing, that could possibly impact Superman legacy and bump it, maybe. Depends on what happens with the negotiations of the DGA. Because if the Directors Guild, and Chris, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, if the Directors Guild decides to go on strike as well, which very well could happen. See, right now, James Gunn's duties as the writer of the movie are done. I mean... There'll be more later, but for now, they're done. He's written the script. But his work as the director is now going on. He's now the director of the film, overseeing all the pre-production and all that kind of stuff. And if the DGA goes on strike, that means he can't do any of his director responsibilities, making all these key decisions, like these daily, these hundreds of micro decisions that need to be made every single day as pre-production gets underway he won't be able to do anything as a director and as a member of the guild. And that I think could impact that to a degree. Now he may walk away. He may walk away from it and hand responsibilities off to Peter Safran to say, Hey, as the lead producer on this, here are the things you can look after while I'm gone, do as much as you can on it. There's certainly some workarounds, but that's the way I see that this could impact it. I don't think it will, but if it does, that's the way it's going to happen. I don't know, Chris, You look at this, it is such a weird, tangled puzzle right now with the whole industry. Right now, it's only the Writers Guild, but 
the, the actors could soon follow, mm-hmm. the directors could soon follow. I mean, how could this impact Superman legacy with it not shooting for another eight months? Or do you think it's pretty safe where it is? What do you think? I mean, definitely could impact it if we still are going and if everyone else decides to strike. For James Gunn in particular, this could become a much more complicated issue. He's a member of the WGA. He's a member of the DGA. Um, ABC reported, gosh, maybe about five days ago or so, studios sending out memos to showrunners saying, hey, you're not exempt from your duties Mm -hmm. as a showrunner just because you're part of the Writers Guild. That's separate and you have a different contract with us, which we'll see how that pans out. Right. For someone like James Gunn, who is head of a studio. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a weird spot. Mm -hmm. I don't see David Zaslav being like, oh, James, it's fine. Take your time. When that love of work and writing comes back, you can come back here. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a very big issue here that he's going to have to contend with of where he is going to find himself on that side of the strike. Is he going to stay with the uh, the WGA, the DGA, should they decide to strike, the actors if they choose to strike, etc.? Or is he going to be siding with the studio that he is freshly helming? So that's one issue here. Um, As far as the actual casting and the strike and everything goes, look, he's got the script locked down, and they've got eight months to get this done, right? Based on some of the Marvel films we've seen too, and this is just a logistics thing, most of those actors who decided to get into superhero shape, began a five-month regimen to do that. And Superman is somebody who has to look like a incredibly strong individual. Mm, I mean, you can't obviously get it. That's right. Superman is Ray. You heard it here first. Ray Broke. You got cast? That's wonderful. Yeah, look up for me. Yeah. And obviously, (laughs) a lot of these people do use padded suits and things like that. But if you want to cast somebody so they look the part, right, you've got maybe three months to find your Superman with this timeline and then another five to get him in shape. That's the part that I think is honestly the tight issue here. Um, But if there are these delays with the strikes and everything, I think this could end up in limbo for a while, especially with James Gunn so deeply attached in so many different ways. See, I think they've got their Superman already. I know James Gunn will deny it. I know James Gunn will deny it and he has denied it, but I don't believe him. I I believe they've already have their Superman. Who do you think it is? I have no idea. It's probably his (laughs) wife. I mean, he's putting her in everything else at this point. But, um, got him. Burn. <laughs> but, you know, here's you bring up an interesting point, though, about, you know, would David Zaslav come to James Gunn? What is, I, here's the thing I think David Zaslav would know, and I think James Gunn knows, because he's not only the head of a studio, he himself is a member of the WGA and the DGA. You cannot, and, and they better impress this upon David Zaslav is that just starting right now with our brand new DC, we cannot make our lead foot getting on the shit side of the actors, the writers, and the directors. And like like James Gunn has got to sit down with David Zaslav, and I got to believe David Zaslav would understand this, but he would have to sit down with David Zaslav and say, look, I understand that we got a lot riding on this movie, but if I, as a member of the WGA and the DGA, if I make my first act as heading this studio to screw over all the creative guilds, we are going to have a very bad time for the next four or five oh, years. Oh, yeah. And I He's do not be like, think... Sorry, Gunn, I can't hear you over my plane. <laughs> over my sax. <laughs> like, I don't think James Gunn would do that. I mean, he, I, I really think he's a writer-director first, everything. And yeah. he is such a creative... He's got his roots in trauma, you know? So he is this avant-garde absolute creative at the end of the day and while he is now one of the suits i really really don't think him being like you know what we should do 
fuck everybody. Yeah. I because, don't see that happening. Because then whenever they start try casting, mm-hmm. get bringing on new writers, bringing on directors, uh, everybody's going to want to give him the stink finger. And and you know what I think also? Maybe <laughs> two or three years. <laughs> I think two or three really? years. <laughs> Jen liked that one. <laughs> earmuffs. <laughs> I think two to three years from now, I think very quietly James Gunn will... <laughs> Uh, relinquish his WGA and DGA membership. I think Ooh. he's going to realize that he's going to let some time pass and very quietly because he's in a position of a conflict of interest, being the studio head mm-hmm. and being a member of the WGA. It, they, so nothing you could have done about it at this point. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? James Gunn has confirmed that Superman Legacy, the kicking off starting point of the brand new DC universe, is going to start shooting in January. Do you think these strikes could impact it? Maybe the WGA rules, maybe the DGA, maybe not at all. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's jump on over, shall we, to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question for the show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our Mint Mobile number anytime, 24-7 at 951 268 42 Five, nine. Today's question is about authors writing screenplays. Check it out. Hello, it's Randall from Ohio. Don't worry, I'm not in Cleveland. This is a question about the writer's strike. If it continues to go on for a long period of time, do you think that studios should start mining authors to finish scripts? You know, authors aren't in the Writers Guild of America, so, you know, would it be a plausible thing to use authors to finish scripts? I'm a writer. I'm not fishing for a gig. I was just, I just thought that would be an interesting concept. Man, it, you know, it is an interesting question. What's wrong with Ohio, uh, with Cleveland, though? Yeah, a lot of people don't like Cleveland for no, some reason. we're not in Cleveland. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. I just want to know, Randall. I... A lot of people are starting to ask questions like, okay, could this write and could that write? And look, the idea of authors. Authors are professional writers. That's what they do. And they're, for the most part, I mean, many are, but not members of the WGE. You don't need to be a member of the Writers Guild of America in order to be an author. You can write your book and do whatever you want. So what about going out and getting, if you got some of these scripts that are sitting there unfinished, what about the concept of going out and getting a couple of maybe good authors? Now, the first thing I want to point out is this. Being a book author and being a screenwriter are really two different things. It's, 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 it's totally different stuff. And I never thought it was until I had written a couple screenplays before. And then I wrote my book and then I realized, oh my, this is totally different. It is completely different trying to write a novel than it is from that. And actually look at even JK Rowling, who did like wrote novels brilliantly. And then when she tried writing screenplays, it seems like she struggled. A bit, right? It's two different things. But that's not even the main problem. The main problem that they would come across is this. Well, yes, an author who is not a member of the WGA would not be bound by whatever strike rules the WGA has going on. You run the risk as a production that other union members of other unions are going to say, in solidarity, we are not going to work on this movie if you are using a scab writer. And that's the that's the thing, because listen, right now, there has not been a universal proclamation of solidarity between the WGA, SAG, and DGA on this issue right now, but that could come. 
And if that does come and you've got a movie you're trying to do yes, and you say, hey, him. don't worry about the that the, we didn't have the script written. We went out and got somebody else to finish it. Well, a member of the director's guild just very well say, well, I'm not working on this movie. The screen actors, the, the actors who remember the screen actors guild may very look say, sorry, we can't. If you are going to use scab writers, we will not be in this movie. And so scab, people are asking it? what scab is. Scab is like non-union. Yes. Yeah, sorry. For those who aren't familiar with the term. Thank you. Philadelphia actually has like a rat icon too, like a mascot to re- for represent a scab. yeah, scabbers or scabby for, for, for scabbers. For yeah. people who like cross, who cross picket, picket lines line. and yeah. will. Yeah. That the non-labor union when there's a strike going on, not favorably looked upon. So I think it would be very, very problematic. Plus, again, if you are the studio, forget all that other stuff. Forget the stuff about the directors and the actors. You are furthering, damaging your relationship with the Writers Guild in a time that you should be looking for all avenues to bridge the gap and and fix. I mean, you may have you may be far apart in your negotiations, but you don't want to do things that's going to cause long term damage to the relationship. So it. Can you do it? Technically, yes, but you'd be effing yourself pretty good further down the line. Chris, you are a member of one of those unions of the mm-hmm. Screen Actors Guild. I so I'm speaking a little bit out of turn, but like, how do and how would members of the actors union look at if some production started bringing in, you know, non-union writers to finish off things? Could that impact? how the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild all viewed that project. I think it definitely could. For my union in particular, right, there are non-union films or there's sometimes a mix of SAG actors and non-union things, especially in right-to-work states. But so for me, a member of SAG-AFTRA, if I were to do a non-union project at any point in time, not when we're striking, but in general, I could be, if I'm found out, I could be kicked out of the union. I would have to go before a committee to see if I could be reinstated, if they'll allow me to. And then I would have to pay my initiation fee again, which, when I joined, was about $3,100. So, wow. it is a big investment joining these unions and everything. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it's because, for the most part, then you are qualified for insurance, getting um, a retirement fund going, et cetera, et cetera. Having more rights on set really is the big thing. So, for us, it's a big deal. For writers here, if you are trying to get into this guild at some point, and whether you are a pre-existing novelist who has had successful work, if you are somebody who is still working their way to trying to be in a writer's room or pitch your own things and everything, this is not a good move for you at all because it really is shooting yourself in the foot in the long term. Yes, you might get a quick paycheck, just like how if I go do a non-union gig, I might get some money right here and now, but I'm not going to get residuals and I'm not going to get the wages that I deserved. And then I could get booted out. For you, if you decide, hey, I'm going to cross that picket line or I'm going to jump in here, you could be burning a lot of personal bridges. And then the guild itself could deny you access. And then what are you going to do afterwards? Yeah. You can go back to novels and everything, but it's just not a smart move. I also was reading on Twitter, too. I follow this really great artist, DJ Kirkland. Um, he did, uh, did the Black Mage comics. Um, and he was saying, just did a little tweet of, hey, comic book folks, let's pay attention to this just in case mm. for when... They have issues, too, and this inevitably happens. We've seen this with the TGA, with the writers who do animation. They've had a whole lot of struggles here, too. So I think at the end of the day, all writers, all creatives should be looking at this going, I should share solidarity here because one day that could be me getting screwed over. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? The option of not just using authors who are writers in and of themselves to finish off scripts that they don't have, but that could cause long-term complications. If you're the producer of a project, 
Do you do that? Do you look for a little bit of short-term game at something that might screw you over in the long term? I don't know. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we got a number of other things to talk about. Supernatural uh, has now been canceled after one season. Monica Bellucci is the wife of Beetlejuice. And Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is looking to have a huge opening weekend. We'll get to all those in a minute. But before we do, we want to thank a couple of sponsors of today's show, Rocket Money and, of course, Manscaped. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of this video, Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitor your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want and don't even use. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. My wife Ann and I moved out of Burbank two years ago and one of the first things I discovered when I loaded up Rocket Money was that I was still paying for a gym membership I haven't even been to in Burbank in two years. So stop throwing away your money. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket rocketmoney.com slash campia that's rocketmoney.com slash campia rocketmoney.com slash campia we want to thank the sponsor of today's video manscaped summer's coming are you ready to unveil your beach bod manscaped is here to ensure your body is ready for the wild with their game-changing full body grooming and hygiene products it is time to get ready for summer by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code campia guys you know i've been using manscaped products for a while now and i love starting every day feeling cleaner fresher and way more comfortable manscaped is dedicated to helping you increase your confidence and level up your full body grooming game Game with the Performance Package 4.0. The kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 4.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your grooming routine. Inside the Performance Package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. And no one likes nose hair, so their package also comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0. You also get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you go to manscaped.com slash campia and use the code campia. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com slash campia and use the code campia. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. And thank you to our friends at Manscaped and Rocket Money for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you look down in the description of this video, you'll find links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to Rocket Money and Manscaped. All right, guys, with that down, let's get back to our main questions here, shall we? And we're going to pick up now with a question about the Supernatural series, The Winchesters. Chris, what do we got here? This is from Crowley Chauffeur. Hmm. Hey, John and crew. I know John was a big fan of Supernatural, and I actually started watching it about five years ago because of John. And oh, thank you. And instantly fell in love with it. 
The prequel series, The Winchesters, wasn't great, but it was still supernatural and enjoyed watching it and looking forward to seeing how it would develop. Sadly, I just read that it's been canceled after just one season. What do you think of this sad day, John? And do you think there's a chance for a future Supernatural spinoff series? All right. Thanks a lot for that. By the way, Crowley show for a great name. If you don't know Supernatural, that's the name of one. Probably my favorite character on Supernatural was Crowley, played by Mark. Oh, he was also on Battlestar Galactica. I'm trying to remember the name. And he was in Firefly. And he was in the in the debut issue. Yeah, Uh, he's uh, amazing. What was his name? Mark something. I look him up. Can't remember. Anyway, fabulous character. Yeah, you're not wrong. I loved Supernatural. I loved that show. And it was one of those shows where I almost didn't even care what the story was. Like, I just liked the characters so much that I looked forward every week to just turning on the TV and just hanging out with the Winchester boys, with Crowley, with Castiel. You know, I I just, I loved the show. I loved the banter. I loved the dialogue. And many seasons, the story was great. I mean, they had this kind of overarching story for the first couple of seasons with the yellow-eyed demon and all that kind of stuff. And then every season was its own new main story. And I thought they did it great. It had better seasons and worse seasons, but every week I got to hang out with them. And it broke my heart when they brought the series to a conclusion. I mean, it lasted, what, 15 seasons? Yeah. 15 or something like that. 15 seasons. Couldn't have asked for more. Broke my heart. And then they announced that they were doing a new Supernatural series, a prequel series called The Winchesters, about Sam and Dean's parents. And instantly I got really excited. Because not... uh, uh, not Jared Padalecki. Uh, um, Jensen Ackles. Jensen Ackles. That's right. The other one was going to be the producer of it and was going to be narrating it. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. And then the first trailer for the Winchesters came out. I have never had an erection disappear so fast. <clears throat> that trailer was <laughs> that trailer was awful. It was so bad. And I just could not bring myself. I mean, the trailer looked so awful and so terrible. I just simply could not bring myself to what? To to watch. <laughs> to what? To what? What are to we talking what? about here? Should I leave? Adrian. I could about. not bring myself to watch the show. Oh yeah. I get That's to what? <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to watch the show. I just couldn't do it. I never even saw a single episode, not one. I just, because it looked so bad. And then, you know, I asked a buddy of mine who was also a big Supernatural fan who did watch it. And they're like, yeah, you're going to want to avoid this. It'll just break your heart. So I did. But no, so I cannot sit here and say with firsthand knowledge that the show was bad because I, I didn't watch it. I just know that it looked bad to me. And then I heard from some people it was pretty bad and I skipped it. So it, it comes as no surprise that they canceled the show. This comes to us from the folks at Deadline. <laughs> To what? Who writes, the CW has opted not to pick up a second season of the Winchesters. The news is not surprising. The Supernatural prequel was among the long shot renewal prospects at the network under its new ownership as it focused on unscripted and lower cost scripted programming, primarily international acquisitions, co-productions in pursuit of profitability. Now, they go on to say this is kind of interesting. So far, the only CW's strongest existing scripted series, All American and Walker, have been renewed for next season. That's it. All American and Walker. Uh, the three least likely, the Winchesters, Kung Fu, and Walker Independence, have been canceled. Remaining in limbo are Superman and Lois and All American Homecoming, which are believed to have the best chance, however small it may be, followed by Gotham Knights. And there's another report that just came out that 
Uh, CW's only either going to stick with Superman, Lois, or Gotham Knights. One of those two is absolutely getting canceled as well. Gee, I wonder which one they will pick. You know what? I think Superman, Lois is the one that's going to get canceled. Why? Because I... Because I'll guarantee you that's the more expensive show to make. Oh, but it's oh. the good one. I, I know. That, oh. So, but anyway, we're here sad. to talk about the Winchester. So, <laughs> look, I, I can't say I'm disappointed that the Winchesters got canceled because I couldn't even bring myself to watch it. I, again, not me saying that the show is bad because I have no firsthand knowledge about whether it was good or bad. Now, as far as what could the future be for other Supernatural spinoffs... Well, they tried. While Supernatural was still on air, they tried a couple of spinoff series. They were they did a couple of episodes where they were strictly episodes meant to set up other series. Backdoor was, pilots. What's that? Like like yeah, little mini pilots, right? Mm -hmm. One of them was a couple of those three female characters um, that I actually wanted to see that show. There was the woman who was kind of the sheriff. Then there was her friend, and then the young girl. I thought that could have been really fun. Mm -hmm. Then they did an entire number one, another, another one where Sam and Dean meet a young guy who's going to be a hunter too. And they were kind of angling for that to be a spinoff series. Never came to fruition. I'll be honest with you. At this point, I have no interest in more supernatural stuff unless it's Jensen and Jared coming back. But John with the ending, I know, but we're talking about God. Any, you can do anything in this series. I understand how the series ended, but I mean, I'm not saying they should bring it back. I'm just saying that's probably the only way I'll be interested. Anyway, Chris, with all the changes at CW now and all the other shows being canceled, any big surprise here that the Winchesters got the axe? No, I say that again as somebody who didn't watch this because the trailers did not interest me. We've talked about this a little bit. I'm not a huge prequel person of, okay, well, what am I going to glean from this that I don't already know? from the series that I've already watched. If there are really interesting revelations and everything, cool. I kind of already know about some of these things about Mary having been a hunter and all of this stuff from the actual Supernatural series because that's a big reveal in the show. So I didn't really know what I'd be getting out of this one and I didn't tune in. So I can't talk to the quality of this show personally. Um, there definitely could be a spinoff series though because they did try and and fail so many times because we had Wayward Sisters was the one you were talking about. Oh, that's, the yes, sheriffs. that was the name of it. Yeah. I wanted to see the that. The sheriffs, the gal from Quantumania and everything. And that looked really, really interesting. The backdoor pilot episode for that was very, very compelling. There was another episode where- Wait a Sam minute, that girl was the same girl from Quantumania? Yeah. That's why she looks so familiar yeah. to me. Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Catherine Newton, that's where she started. Bing. Um, there was another one where Sam and Dean are kind of involved in the episode, but it's about these families that are kind of Damn. mafia families, sort of. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's family. But they're all, you know, uh, supernatural creatures and things. And there's a uh, star-crossed lovers kind of relationship in there. That didn't get picked up. So there's several different things they've tried to do. More of the things that would interest me personally are kind of the dynamics of heaven and hell. Um, but then that maybe gets too close to Good Omens territory. Right. Because um, Castiel and Crowley were my favorite characters on the show. I really, really enjoyed them. I'd love to see more about Crowley personally or and, and his mother and everything. I think that would be really fascinating because I loved her. Um, I think there's still potential for it. I think as everything, though, it comes down to good storytelling. And so far, it just seems like these have been things that haven't had the great storytelling like Supernatural did. And you know, see, that's where it's a double-edged sword, right? Because I said... I didn't even care a lot of the seasons of Supernatural if the story overall was very, like, was really great because mm -hmm. I just loved the characters and I loved hanging out with the characters. Well, that's a double-edged sword because now if you take away the characters, 
even if you do bring in some good story, I was watching for the characters. Yeah. And so, so it kind of can cut you both ways. But then again, it gave them 15 seasons. For sure. Well, and it had this kind of X-Men, or, uh, X-Files approach too, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Where you're there for Mulder and Scully. You know, you're there for Dean, you know. But you then still have the monster of the week aspect of it. So you don't always have to have every ap- episode be like, oh, this is adding to the entire big narrative storyline we're doing. Sometimes it's just a goofy one-off that just furthers the relationship between those two brothers, right? Or furthers the relationship through another tertiary character who they know. And I think that's one of the things that worked in Supernatural's favor was, yes, there was an overarching plot, but you could have just these weird little time loop episodes or, you know, we do a kind of spoof on um, those supernatural paranormal shows where people are ghost hunting and that would be a one-off episode so it would keep it feeling fresh even though we'd been doing kind of the same thing for 15 seasons all right guys question is for you the supernatural spinoff the winchesters has been canceled after one season not a big surprise for a couple of reasons we, we didn't hear it was all that good plus cw's axing most of their shows right now what do you think about this? Did you watch the show? Did you skip it like I did? Maybe you never even watched Supernatural. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our next topic here. And it has to do with Beetlejuice 2 on the way. And now we've got the bride of Beetlejuice. Chris, what do we got? From Film Zone. So looks like Beetlejuice is getting married as Monica Bellucci is in talks to play his wife and looks like Catherine O'Hare may be back for Beetlejuice too. Danny Elfman is also coming back to score the film. Things are lining up for the ghost with the most. I mean, everything seems to be moving fast and heavy right now for the Beetlejuice uh, sequel because they have been talking Beetlejuice sequels since I was at AMC. Like I still remember being back in my AMC days and they're Stories coming out that they're going to try to do a Beetlejuice sequel. Woo! And, and like that, then 10 years pass and still nothing. But this time, it's real. It's flash real, Chris. It's real, real. It's real, actually real. happening. Of course, with Christina, uh, not Christina Reacher, Winona Ryder coming back. We've got Michael Keaton coming back. Jenna Ortega's joined the cast as Winona Ryder's daughter. And now we find out that international superstar Monica Bellucci is also joining the cast. Uh, This comes to us from uh, CBR, who writes the following. Monica Bellucci has been cast in Beetlejuice 2 as none other than the spouse of the title Wisecracking Ghost Beetlejuice. As announced by The Hollywood Reporter, as I lose my thing because of an ad popping up, as announced by The Hollywood Reporter, Belushi will play the wife of Beetlejuice in Tim Burton's sequel to his cult classic 1988 horror comedy. Belushi is a former model known for roles in films including The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions, and the James Bond entry Spectre. Her acting career also includes several high-profile European projects where she's actually a much bigger star. Uh, no name has been given to Belushi's character, and it is unclear if she has any connection to other uh, versions of Beetlejuice. Uh, Monica Belushi is one of these human beings that uh, defies biology and just somehow seems to get more stunning as age uh, continues, kind of like a George Clooney quality about her. Uh, And she's fabulous. I love her dearly. I think she's incredible. Having Beetlejuice, this is the most interesting part of the story to me, though, is that you're going to have Beetlejuice have have a bride. Okay, that's interesting. How's that going to come into play here? I'm not really completely sure. Anyway, Chris, uh, we're getting more and more information about Beetlejuice 2. It feels like every other day. This is a big one. Two pieces of news here. Beetlejuice is going to have a bride in this one. 
It's going to be Monica Bellucci. What do you think about this? I mean, good for Beetlejuice. Damn. (laughs) Monica Bellucci. Okay. Uh, Well, in the first film, Beetlejuice wants to have a bride. He tries to marry Lydia Dietz, which is very problematic. So I'm glad he found somebody age appropriate. Well, who's to say, actually? I don't know how old he is. (laughs) He's still probably 20 over her. He's probably got... Got some decades on her. But yay for him. I love the original Beetlejuice. Uh, a couple years ago, I had a um, Tim Burton theme party where you had to come as your favorite Tim Burton characters. Really? And, yeah. And Logan and I were uh, Lydia and Beetlejuice. Um, love, love, love Tim Burton. So I'm very, very pumped about this continuing, especially with the original cast involved. To have Winona Ryder in it again, to have Danny Elfman scoring, because of course he will. I love that that's kind of news here. Yeah, he's going to work with Tim Burton. He loves working with him to have Catherine O'Hara back though. I think yeah, that key. is a really, really, really good get. So I think having those folks in this also is a very, very big vote of confidence and Keaton. Come on. Keaton can do no wrong by me. That's why I'm going to see Batman flashpoint. Love him. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Monica Belushi has joined Beetlejuice two to play Beetlejuice's bride. Are you a big fan of the original Maybe it was before your time and you never saw it. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our final topic here today, talking about a potentially pretty big opening for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Chris, what do we got? From Box Office Fan, Spider-Verse 2 is looking to have a great opening, but now it looks like it may be a bigger one than we thought. They're now predicting a 70 million to 80 million opening. Would this be a win for Sony, or is Sony expecting a bigger opening? And if Spider-Verse 2 is a huge hit, would other studios start making more animated comic book films? Maybe Batman Beyond animated film for theaters? Yeah, keep dreaming. Um, so here's... You shall listen, we, we, t- <laughs> we talked off the opening of the show uh, with a Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse story, talking about the brand new, probably final trailer that came out. Um, again, I absolutely love the first Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But the reality is, while it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film that year, well-deserved. By the way, it should have been nominated for Best Picture, because in my estimation, it was the third best movie of the year overall. Not just comic book movie, not just anime. I thought it was the third best film overall of the year. But it never got a, <laughs> never got a Best Picture nomination because the Academy created the Best Animated Division just so they could give themselves an excuse not to nominate animated films. At any rate, that's a that's another issue that I'll deal with another time. But I, when a lot of people ask me about what are the films this year that could possibly and potentially be billion-dollar films, I never mention Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, to which a lot of people ask, John, why are you leaving Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse off? It's like, well, as great as the film is, the first one, The reality is it didn't do that great at the box office. I I mean, it did all right. It held up, but it didn't do great. And there's a huge jump from the amount it made before to a billion dollars. And that's why I've always remained very skeptical. But this new report might suggest that there might be some more likes to that. Now, they said in their email that they're saying it can make up to 80. And I have seen that report. But. Box Office Pro just put out their projections for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. And it is not 70 to $80 million. It's 85 to $105 million opening weekend. Now, to put that in context, let's look at how the first film did. The first film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, 
made only $35 million opening weekend. And it made a box office total of $384 million. Nothing to sneeze at. That's Black Adam numbers right there. $384 million. But, I mean, a big, big, huge, long leap to get up to the billion-dollar mark. Well, what Box Office Pro is now projecting is they're saying Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse could open anywhere between 100 or so between $85 million and $105 million, which, if it comes in at the top end of that, would literally be triple what the original made in its opening weekend. Triple. Now, listen, we talk all the time on this show about how what producers and studios want to see is an upward trajectory. But we're not talking about an upward trajectory. We're talking about this. We're talking about a straight vertical line. Um, Like, this would be absolutely incredible. Now, again, these are projections. And that 105 number is the top end. But even if you look at the bottom end of, say, Deadline's projection, which was 70, that represents a doubling of an opening weekend box office. So let's go back to my image here, to this graphic. So if you want to extrapolate, and you can't extrapolate, I know, but just for fun, if you wanted to extrapolate, let's say that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse makes double of what the last film did in its opening weekend. Could that theoretically, if you want to extrapolate, equal to double the final box office? Maybe. Well, if you did, you're now talking about a movie that's making... $760, $770 million, which isn't too far off from that billion dollar mark. Okay, let's let's keep playing this fantasy extrapolation game. All right. Well, let's say it makes the high end number of that box office pro projection, which listed here is 85 to 105 million dollars. Let's say top end of that. That's triple. Well, now you're talking about a movie that does break the billion dollar mark. Now, again, Let me be very clear. You cannot just extrapolate opening weekend numbers and project what the final box office is going to be, okay? We're playing a fun fantasy game here. But in theory, as the guy who has been saying, despite the fact that this is one of my most anticipated films of the year, that I don't think that this thing actually has a legitimate shot of hitting the billion-dollar mark, if it can open this big, and that's a big if, but if it can, if... Box Office Pro is accurate in their numbers, and we're still a few weeks from finding out if they are or not. But if they are, then I may be wrong, and and maybe hitting the billion-dollar mark is something that might be within reach for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I certainly hope it is. Anyway, Chris, you see these numbers. (laughs) Are you surprised to hear them? What do you think this could mean for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse overall? Does it have a shot of joining the Billion Dollar Club? What do you think? I am not surprised at all. As you may recall, earlier this week, I panicked and bought my tickets while on air. And I got the last two tickets for me and Logan in a theater. So all the other times, too, that I was looking at, almost sold out, almost sold out, almost sold out. So I think that these box office projections are so accurate. And I do think it's going to be closer to that 100 mil mark, which I'm very excited about for opening weekend. Now, that being said... The issue that could happen here is then we maybe don't see that kind of longevity like we did with Spider-Verse, right? And that's why a lot of people have been doing that lately with box office of, sure, it had a big opening weekend, but that means it's going to do poorly in weeks to follow. It doesn't necessarily mean that, right? If the movie's great, which by all accounts it looks like it is, then I think we are going to see this have great legs and make a ton of money. I would love to see this in the Billion Dollar Club. I would be so, so happy. And I think, to your point about how this should have been nominated for Best picture, not just best animated feature. I think that would be 
such a finger <laughs> to the Academy after Lord and Miller penned that that letter saying, look, you guys are wildly disrespectful when it comes to animation. The way that you all introduced our category this year was so, so lowbrow of talking about how we only make kids content. Yeah. Guillermo yeah, del Toro, was it was awful. Guillermo del Toro has come out on stage too, talking about how this is a medium, this is not a genre or anything. I think it'd be wonderful to see a film of this caliber make that much money. So it could also be, hey, not only is this a wonderful story, this is viable filmmaking. This is something that you should be investing your time, energy, and money into because we're not going anywhere and this is what people want to see. This puts butts in seats. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about these projections that we're seeing for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse? We are talking as absolutely low as double the amount that the first one did, as high as possibly triple what the original one did. Where do you think this is going to come in? Have you bought your tickets already? Maybe you're not even looking forward to the movie. I can't wait for it. Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... We're now going to move on and start taking your questions that you guys have sent in via our tip link at streamelements.com slash John Campius slash tip. You don't have to be watching the show live to send in a question. You can send in a question there anytime, 24-7. We do have a bunch of them to get to. But before we get to those, we're going to take another moment here and thank another couple of sponsors of our episode here today, our friends at Masterclass and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to Sit down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campius show listener you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now. That's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off masterclass. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my my old phone plan. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. 
Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to your questions that you guys have sent in over the last 24 hours to our little tip line. Chris, what do we got here? We are starting with uh, Karim Potts. I think I know what Warner Brothers games should do for a Harry Potter game. It'll solve everything. Make the next Harry Potter game with the original trio cast. That way, all they have to do is voiceover, all they have to do, and at the same time can make it visually and compelling. Make it visually compelling. I, I think I think what he means by all they have to do is that they don't have to commit you know, five months, months to out shooting. Months the air, yeah. yeah. I just thought I'd put that little huh yeah. in there. Um, and they don't have to get into costume. You, you know what? It's, it's a great idea. I, I don't think you can get them back to do that. And if you could, it might be cost prohibitive because they may ask for just as much money as you'd have to pay them to be in a movie to do it, depending on what their agents ask for. But in principle, do I think that game, that a Harry Potter game about adult Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and you got the actual original actors back doing their own mocap and maybe doing their voices, that game could be a $2 billion game. And that could be a $2 billion game. All right, what's next? From Orlando Arego. Hey, John and crew. All right, it's been over a month from you guys going to WrestleMania in LA. Now give us your thoughts from the show and the main event. Bring on the filthy. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's a month ago. Uh, it's always fun going to WrestleMania. The, 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 the main event was one of the big reasons why I quit watching wrestling like years and years and years ago, it was an absolute spit in the face to all the fans Dude. and the people who traveled from across the country to be there to have the old tried and true. The bad guy has friends run into the ring and knock oh, out the good guy yeah. and gets away with it because there's no television cameras. I mean, you got to have some verisimilitude to your yep. storytelling. And it's like, it was a, what was a really great fun day. It almost ruined the whole thing. Like that's, that's, what made me stop watching wrestling? It was. I, I only got one thing to say about that WrestleMania. Same. Gunther. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was fun. There was a lot of fun stuff in it, but yeah, it was. It that was, was very it was... fun, but I still was sad when he won. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Sam Fisher, awesome. I watched. Uh, my, I always say his name wrong. Milo Ventimiglia's new show, The Company You Keep, which aired its finale on Sunday. This is about the only new network show I finished, so I hope it doesn't get canceled due to the WGA strike, especially because of what they set up for a season two. You know what? I've never watched it. I, be, I, I mean, I only have so much time to watch so much TV. There's a lot of stuff I'm very behind on when it comes to television. But you, I really need to because Milo's the guy who's responsible for introducing me to Anne. Um, and so it, I, I owe him a lot. Uh, he was actually going to be at our wedding, but he had to be in, I think he was in the Middle East doing something with a, with a comic book thing that he was doing in the Middle East at the time. Dang. But I, so you would think I, I need to get caught up on that show. Cause I, not only do I owe him my, my marriage, uh, but I, I think he's fantastic. So I need to get caught up in that, but I haven't watched it yet myself. All right. What's next? From Amin, as someone who's read the Dune books, is the black and white shots in the trailer story related, or will it simply be aesthetic or style? Like, is it a flashback or something? Reminded me of the gore scene in Thor 4. Can't wait. Such a perfect first trailer. It's a good question, but seeing as we haven't seen the movie, I can't answer it. I, I honestly have 
no idea. It, it's gonna be, it's got to be a stylistic thing, probably to to um, illustrate a flashback or illustrate a fever dream or something like that. It's gonna be used as an aesthetic to to differentiate it from a regular reality. But again, that's just me speculating because I haven't seen the movie yet, so we'll see. But I it is probably my most anticipated movie still remaining this year. All right, what's next? Starting with this Garden Variety right here. Oh, okay. From Garden Variety Vagabond. Not sure if you saw Kevin Smith's latest and what he calls his last video post. Kevin posted a beautiful video about his recent mental health scare. He's changing his lifestyle in major ways. All should watch this if you love him or not for his message. I have not heard of this. You know, have you have you heard of this? I didn't watch the video, but I heard he had been um, having some sort of mental health crisis that, and that, that he posted about it. That's that's why, because last night, for some reason, I was going to I was watching uh, Guardians Volume 3 reviews and I wanted to hear his opinion. And I and I was like, he hasn't posted for a while. I wonder why. So that's good to um, no. Hopefully he's re, uh, feeling better. Yeah, or, I mean, he's had several health scares. I mean, he had mm -hmm. his heart attack not long ago. He dropped like 150 pounds of weight. Good, he looked yeah. great. Um, but I have not seen that or heard of this. I'm going to have to go and check it out. But hey, mm -hmm. listen, I, I will always stand and applaud anybody who makes decisions for themselves for their mental health. It's, it's important stuff to do. All right. What's next? From Jay Bling, the funny thing about CEOs looking into using AI sources like ChatGPT to take precedence over humans in the screenwriting process is that ChatGPT itself said it was better suited to be a corporate CEO than a writer. Um, that's, I cannot emphasize like this thing going around that, the, like the AI can just write scripts. No, it can't. It's awful. It's really bad. Um, and, and this whole thing that I th also think it's a myth that CEOs are out there looking to get AI to write scripts. I, I, I don't know a single one that's actually doing that. So, so there's that. Um, I think it, listen, can we get to the point where we could do something like that? Probably. I would never discount that technology will ultimately be able to do just about anything, mm -hmm. but it ain't there. Yeah. I mean, I still remember 20 years ago when we started getting like CGI and they were starting to do faces there and everybody's saying, you know what? In another year or two, you're not going to be able to tell that it's, that a, an actor is a CGI actor or not. Well, here we are 20 years later and yeah, you still can. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's not to say that we won't get to the point that we can't, but I think AI, as far as writing actual legitimate sounding dialogue and script and stuff like that, I, I think we are still very have far you, away. From have you happening. seen like the, the AI commercials? They're just like what AI thinks humans are, you know, it's mm -hmm. like they did a pep, they did a pizza commercial and it's pepperoni hug spot. <laughs> Which, listen, in its, in its defense, I would, I would probably I buy would a pepperoni, pepperoni hug spot. Hug spot. That'd be <laughs> my favorite place. <laughs> There's an, a, a really great podcast called The Sporkful. It's not for foodies. It's for eaters. And they do an episode recently where it's Can Chat GPT write an episode of The Sporkful? And not only does it get data wrong, such as like, who owns Joe's Pizza? I'm talking to the owner of Joe's Pizza, Sal, which a quick Google search can tell you who owns it. And guess what? His name is Joe. <laughs> yeah, just little things like that, right? But it's things like that where they don't collect data. And then also they get into a point on it about um, just the kind of storytelling it does. And it's usually so generic. And it just because it takes what's already out there in, in you know, a plethora, what the most kind of storytelling is out there, you get a lot of really stereotypical really really basic stories and there's nothing innovative about it it can write a script there's just not going to be something new and exciting about it aside from the fact that a robot wrote it all right what's that, next that's the beer commercial 
Oh my so we not, have, so AI how has, you guys drink beer? Yeah, AI has some issues. <laughs> Can't draw hands or feet. Can't do that for shit. No. Nightwing's name is funny. This might be an unpopular <laughs> opinion and a stupid statement to some, <laughs> but I think Condiment Man deserves to be a main villain for one of the DC movies. Maybe even for a Batman movie. James Gunn got us Polka Dot Man, so I don't see the issue. Yeah, there, there's a big issue. Polka Dot Man was not a main character in the movie, and he was not the main villain. So you could have him as this silly sort of side thing. And he was treated as such in the movie. You're like, polka dots. Why? Like the whole thing of polka dots, polka dots. There's a big difference between having your seventh on the credit list character being something like a polka dot man and having your main villain of a Batman film as Condiment King. So no, they 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 could not do it. They would never get away. I mean, if you wanted to massively change it. So I don't know. Honestly, I don't know off the top of my head what Condiment King's real name is. Let's say his real name is, uh, uh, I don't know, David uh, uh, Blumen Hines. or something like that. David Blumen is, is the name of the Condiment King. Now, if they had a villain named David Blumens and they totally changed him from everything he was, I mean, then you could sort of say that they had Condiment King as a villain, but it's not really Condiment King. So, no, they, they couldn't do that. All right. What's next? Uh from Jordy McKitchens. McKitchens. Hey, John and crew and Ray. Ray's part of the crew. <laughs> For fun. Uh, John and crew Ray. And Ray. Ray. Oh, well, what have you heard? Have you been talking to Chris? Have you been talking to Christian or what? What's going on? For fun. I should know. <laughs> For fun, I'm currently writing a movie script that's basically a post-apocalyptic zombie outbreak outbreak set in 1934 Venice, Italy, called 1934. My friends will act in it for free, and I'm so excited for it to be all finished. Okay, it's really first, cool. first, I have a first suggestion: change so. the name, change the title. There's too much stuff out there right now that just uses the the year as the name of their movie. So, so change that right now. Other than that, that's awesome. I, I keep telling people, I keep, I think all movie fans should make their own movie. You know, I've told the story before, but I Quentin Tarantino turned me on to this film class uh, by a guy. I don't know if he's still doing it today, but He's a Hollywood film teacher called Dove S.S. Simmons. And it was called the 48-Hour Film School. And I went to it and I, and I took it one day, but he said something that was really great. He said, if you were going to ask me how do you make a movie, here's how you do it. Get a couple of friends together, point a camera at them, say action. About 90 minutes later, say cut and hit stop. You've made a movie. And, and as silly as that sounds, really think about that. He was demystifying the whole thing about making movies. And I, I think every film fan should at some point make a little short film, whatever. We all got these. You never would have possibly imagined 10 years ago you'd have these super advanced cameras in your pocket uh, that you go around. Just do so. so the fact that you're writing your own script to make something, I think that's awesome. It'll just make you appreciate the filmmaking process even more. It'll just make you appreciate the movies you watch even more. So I think that's an awesome exercise you're doing, man. All right. What's next? From Ray is my God. That's why you're not part of the crew. You're a deity. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, Ray, what's your favorite color? Black. No, 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 no. It's really? Because that's what I see you in most. It, it, used to, it used to be green. And then, well, it went from brown, green, and now orange. 
But I don't wear a lot of my favorite colors. I don't. Those... I don't see a lot of orange on you. Yeah, yeah. Orange is that is a Bengals too. thing? Orange? No, not a Bengals thing. It was a Michelangelo thing. Teenage oh. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Nice. You know the ones that was. eat pizza and say cowabunga. Yeah, yeah, yeah those ones. Not yeah. not yeah. a lot of interest there. All right, what's next? From Argrindia. Hey crew, you guys should definitely watch Still Time on Netflix. Super good. Basically, this dude keeps waking up every year on his birthday with him aging and time slipping away. And unable to connect with his daughter that he keeps forgetting he has. This sounds oh. really depressing. Yeah, <laughs> like every I read time. That way too perky. Now there was that movie. I can't, there was that show, and I can't remember the name of it. Had uh, Lucius uh, Lucius's uh, Malfoy in it. Um, oh, Tom Felton. Oh. oh wait, no. Um, no, his dad. His dad. Uh, he was in Star Trek Jason Discovery. Yeah, Jason, Jason Isaac. Isaac. That's his name. There was a show, and I'm forgetting the name of it now. Where Jason Isaac plays a cop with a wife and a son and they get into a car accident and his wife dies but his son lives and in all the trauma you're at the hospital then he goes home that night with his son he goes to bed but he wakes up the next day and reality is different in the new reality his son died and his wife lived he's all confused and then he goes to bed later that night when he wakes up he's back in the other reality and so he's living in these two realities and every time he goes to sleep he wakes up in the other reality right so that sounds a lot like that but this idea that every time he goes to bed and he wakes up it's one year later woo that just sounds I've never even heard of this show but that sounds pretty cool yeah All right. what's next from Jaden Voss do you guys ever golf if so what is your favorite or nicest place that you've ever golfed (laughs) about 15 years ago, I lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, and I had a couple of buddies that golfed, and I, I did a little bit. Of, I, I maybe golfed about 10 times. That was like 15 years ago. I was absolutely horrible at it. I'm terrible. Um, the funny thing is now, I literally live on a golf course. Like, my backyard sits like 20 feet above and looks over a golf course. It's totally beautiful. And Anna and I keep talking about how you know, we literally live on a golf course. We should probably walk over and go golfing sometime. But we've been in that house for two years now. We've never gone. You ever have those um, dreams that maybe you pick something up and you're just good at it like that? Yeah. <clears throat> so we went to the driving range. I was like, I could probably hit a ball. <laughs> right? You know, I could probably hit a ball good. What if it's it comes natural to me? Not so much. I bought a bucket of balls. I should have just bought one mm-hmm. because out of all the swings, <laughs> I've I hit one. But that one I hit felt so so good, so satisfying, and it was so right because it went straight that I was like, let I me, am the best. Let me try to do that again, and then I missed again. And I was so tired. If this was on a lunch break when we were about to uh, go out of business at a. a at uh, Lehman Brothers, the mortgage, whatever place we were working yeah. at. We're about to go out of business, so we're taking longer lunches because we're like, this job is not going to last long. <laughs> so we went to their driving range, and man, I was so tired. My dress shirt was all sweaty. Did you ever come with us to Top Golf? No. It's it's a lot of fun. I gave up on that dream, John. <laughs> you, sh- you should come sometime. Top Golf is a lot my, of fun. My experience all right. is much yeah. different. Like What's, I, what's <laughs> next? From Alex, the blind cinephile. John, it was great meeting you at Flappers last weekend. I use audio description when I watch movies since I'm legally blind. Chris, have you ever thought about doing narration work for audio description? Thanks for everything you guys do. Love the show. Oh, that's really nice of you to ask, Alex. I think I talk a little too fast. <laughs> I'd have to slow down a lot. That's the note I get the most as an audiobook narrator. Um, but yeah, that's not something my agent pushes for. 
I could I could look into it. I didn't even know that was an area of I didn't even know that was a, a discipline that you could do. Oh yeah, there's tons of stuff. You know the automated phone stuff too? That's usually a voice actor doing that. Really? That's one for more options. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting to know. There's all right. Kinds what's of ways to make money. From 5 Jared W, director 13M. Hey, the John Cambia crew. So with the WGA strike, is that only for movies, TV shows? I.e., will there still will they still be able to choose to write scripts for video games? Can you scroll down? Jonathan, yeah. Um, and stuff like that? Um, I honestly don't know. It depends if those video games are being written by guild member writers. Well, because here's the thing. The WGA, the important part to remember here is that they're negotiating with the AMPTP, right? The Association of Motion Pictures and Television Producers. I don't think they cover video games. Therefore, I think WGA members can write for video games because they're not negotiating with the AMPTP. So my guess, and it's just a guess, my guess is that, that if there are WG writers who work on video games, that has nothing to do with the AMPTP. What, so they probably could still work on the video games. What if the video game company is like owned by a parent company that's a film studio like Warner Brothers? Unless it's directly included under the collective bargaining, I don't okay. know that it would would affect it. So they do have an interactive program contract, the IPC, that is f- specifically for video game writers. Um, but yeah, if they're in the WGA does, or does the, the AMPTP does. represent those groups? Just the WGA. Yeah. So from what I can see, it, I mean, again, I'm guessing, but in theory, their strike is against the AMPTP. It's not against anything that falls outside of the AMPTP. So my guess is that they wouldn't be affected. I could always just text our, our friend, Aaron Papa, who who is the head of like the uh, Santa Monica Studios. They did God of War. Oh. Yeah. You, you've met him. You've met him at Comic-Con. He's, he was our neighbor from a long time ago. And I he don't remember. Aaron, Aaron Papa, the artist. The name sounds really familiar. That you were going to hire to do. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's next? From uh, CJ Rebirth. Oh, wait, sorry. Jared W., Director 13M. Also, in New Zealand, we don't have anything like A-List. How does it compare price-wise to a single ticket? Movie tickets here are now about USD $16 and $7 for large popcorn. FYI, John, you would hate popcorn here. We don't put butter on it. You are savages living out there. You probably put mayo on it or something. Um, Yeah, that's pretty equivalent. That's pretty cool. I think the average movie ticket in America is about $10. Now that includes matinee times and all that kind of stuff. But uh, you know, around LA here, a $16 movie ticket is pretty thing. Here's the thing about A-List and why it's so great. I think I pay $24 a month for my AMC A-List. Might be 25, might it be 26. It's 24 95 It's $20. So $25 for my AMC A-List, right? That gets me 12 movies in IMAX, in Dolby, in AMC Prime, in, in whatever. 12 movies a month. So if I see two movies, and, and the average ticket out here is about 15, 16 bucks. If I see just two movies in a month, it's already paid for itself. And then some. Yeah, not to mention the credit you get, like the points. Yeah, and then you get points that you use towards getting free concession stands. So, I mean, it is simply the best program out there if you're a movie fan. And again, Regal has a great program. Cinemark's got a loyalty program. All the theaters have their own version of loyalty programs and they're all good. But I actually think AMC's is the best one out there, probably by a significant amount. Because like with Regal's, it's really good. But if you want to see something in IMAX or if you want to see something in one of their premium theaters, you actually got to, you got to use your loyalty program mm-hmm. and you have to pay an additional fee yeah. oh, on wow. top of it. 
with AMC A-list, you can see it in any screen they got. So yeah, it's it's pretty damn good, man. All right, what's next? From CJ Rebirth. Hi, Chris. If she's on today, if not, you can <laughs> skip this question. Yay! Uh, I'm what moving are, on. Oh. <laughs> no. What are your thoughts on Bradley Cooper's voice acting as Rocket throughout all three Guardian movies? I think he does a wonderful job. Also, if you watch the footage of him doing his voice acting, he does what I love to see voice actors do. They full out act everything still. Uh -huh. He has so much tension in his face to keep the voice where it needs to be. He's using his arms. He holds props every now and then when he needs to. A lot of people forget that just because because you can't see the actual person doing the voice acting that you don't get to use your body still. So even though only 10% of your performance is being captured, you can use 100% of your body. So it's much easier if you hold an object, you hold that object. You don't have to act as freaking hard then. But he does a really, really wonderful job. I do want to point out a lot of people were talking about him doing the voice of Young Rocket. And that is another person who was mm -hmm. brought in um, who also did a phenomenal job because how heartbreaking was Hurts. Hurts. Oh. One of the greatest. Oh. Oh, but I love. Well, I think son. he does wonderful work. It sounds so different from him too. All right, what's next? From JCS or JCSC, I think we all know why Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three has been a success. It's that it doesn't have a subheading and is a numbered title. It's irrational, but subheading sequel titles bug me. You can add a number and you'll lose nothing. Will numbered sequels ever make a return? Uh, they're still here. <laughs> I mean, you just, John Wick. One? One, two, three, four, Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they do put the little volume number in there. One, two, three. They're still here. One, two, uh, and I agree with you, by the way. I prefer sequels just to have a number on them. I, I absolutely do prefer that. That's my thing. And I don't mind. For instance, John Wick 3 played with a subtitle, but it was John Wick 3 Parabellum, right? But they still said John Wick 3 Parabellum. So I, I kind of like that. Now, that will make no impact on the box office whatsoever, but I am with you. I kind of prefer just numerical numbers attached to the movies. All right, what's next? From Peter Cunnington. Is it okay writers, uh, is it okay writers during the strike to write something down on paper, keep, then later use it during a TV show or movie? How is this different from just having an idea in their head? What if Gunn has an idea for the new Superman, writes down well at lunch? Okay, so here's the best way to... To illustrate this, let's say that instead of a writer's guild, it was uh, chefs went on strike. Okay. They're striking against their employers. Are we saying that sh chefs will now starve to death because they can't cook anything to feed themselves with? Well, of course they can. Like they can cook for themselves. When you're striking, you, you do, are not doing work for your employer. So yes, a writer, every member of the WGA can still sit at home and if they have ideas and whatever, and they can write scripts for themselves that they hide away and put away. And then maybe once the strike is over, they got something they can bring to the, uh, to the studios and pitch ideas and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Writers can still do whatever they want to do at home that they're doing for themselves. The key is they cannot do work for their employers. That's the big difference. So yes, they can absolutely go home and they have a passion project or an idea they want to jot down. They can do that still. Yeah. The big thing is you just can't be selling these projects right now. While the strike is going on. Exactly. Right. So if you were to even make an independent film at this point in time without any other studio, as long as you don't sell that thing until the strike is over, you're fine in that accord too. Right. So there's just a whole bunch of little bits of detail like that. So you can totally still be writing. Just don't be posting all over the Internet about like working on this great piece for when Warner Brothers <laughs> is back. That's not what you want to do. Yeah. If the NFL Players Association goes on strike, 
the members can still go out to the local park and play some catch football. They just can't go and play for the Los Angeles, you know, Rams. That's mm-hmm. it. All right. What's next? From Dante Serechia. Hi, crew. Question for Chris. I'm curious about the writer's strike and how it affected you as a voiceover um as a voiceover actress, as animation isn't covered by the WGA. How can we support the strikers as normies? And is there an only pens that strikers can join for extra oh loot? Oh my God, he wrote oh that Oh my for goodness. That <laughs> only pens. Only Dante. Dante. Only pens. Um, so it's a little different in that a lot of times, um, like I said earlier in the show, there's something called the TGA, which is for animation. And that's what a lot of writers specifically for animation do. Should they be part of the WGA? Yes. Should they all be treated the same? Yes, because again, this is a medium, not a genre. Um, so for actors, right now we are not on strike. Um, our negotiations are expiring, like our current contract expires June 7th, I wanna say. And so far, um, most union members have shown that they are not happy with how current residuals work, et cetera, et cetera, much like the WGA. For us right now, what affects us is if shows are canceled, if shows are in limbo and everything, then obviously there's no script for us to read. So a bunch of shows that maybe we're supposed to start this uh, in the last few weeks, we're not holding auditions for them because there's no script for it. Um, a lot of animated projects, too, are also just on hiatus in general. Um, but for me, video games, some animation, commercials obviously are still on the table. A lot of things for me as an actor are going to be up to what my union decides. Um, and I hopefully just will be getting my um, ballot in the mail soon uh, so I can vote on how I want things to go in our negotiations. Thank you for asking, though. All right. What's next? From Ronaldo Meza Puerto. Hello, guys. Hope you're all having a great day. If Transformers Rise the Beasts flops at the box office and gets bad reviews, should they just shelve the franchise and give it another shot in a couple of years? I, this is this is where I'm I'm very, very... Look, I'm, I'm excited about watching this movie. I really like the last trailer, bringing in Unicron and all that kind of stuff. But I am still befuddled that they just did not do Bumblebee 2 mm-hmm. and brought back the Coobers... Uh, Kubo and the Two Strings director Stephen Din Knight Stephen No 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 not Stephen Anyway I, I can't remember the name but the, the director of Kubo and the Two Strings did Bumblebee did a masterful job it roughly did what Bumble what uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse did right so yeah did Bumblebee make a ton of money no but that's because Bumblebee had to repair the seven years of damage that those crappy Transformers movies did. So Bumblebee suffered the wrath of the movie-going audience because all the other Transformers movies sucked, except for the first one, right? So what they did was Bumblebee came in here and did some repair work. You look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The first movie came out. Did it do gangbusters in the box office? No, but you make a great movie so that later you can make another one with the belief that you're going to have better results because you set the groundwork of a good film. They did that with Bumblebee. And they should have followed it up because I guarantee you if they followed up Bumblebee with the same director and all that kind of stuff, the financial results of the second film would have been better than the first. To go back to being another Transformers movie that we know, a lot of us on the inside know that this is not Michael Bay. It's, you know, uh, uh, Capel, I believe, is doing yeah. the directing, the guy who directed uh, Creed II. We, we get that. But to the general movie getting audience, you went from Bumblebee to now another movie that just looks on the surface like another one of the crappy Michael Bay movies. So I, I, I think this was a big strategic mistake on their part to do Rise of the Beast instead of just a Bumblebee 2. 
I still think it can succeed. I think the trailers look good, but if it does not succeed, yeah, I think they need to go back to the drawing board. I really do. And by the way, they have other plans for Transformers. They got an animated feature film coming out in a year and a half or something like that mm -hmm. called Transformers 1, where Chris Hemsworth is doing the voice of Optimus Prime and uh, Brian, Tyree Brian Tyree Henry. Henry is doing the voice of Megatron. Yeah. Um, there are a couple other big voice actors in there. That could be interesting, but they might have to step back from the quote-unquote live-action Transformers movies if this one flops. All right, what's next? Um, real quick, I realized that I didn't answer part of Dante's question on how you can help support. Um, on my Twitter, I have been retweeting all of the different funds that you can donate to, shirts you can buy, things like that, to donate to the Entertainment Community Fund. Um, you can also go straight to the WGA to help support folks there, too. Um, the Entertainment Community Fund always goes to um, writers in need um, of financial assistance. So that's a great way you can do that. Skip your Starbucks, go donate five bucks, or buy a cool T-shirt. Okay. From uh, Ronaldo Mezzaporta again. There's been a lot of talk of how the writer's strike will affect Superman legacy, but what about creature commandos? It's obviously not as important as Superman, but the characters will make the jump to live action, so they need to give a good impression. Um, it's really kind of irrelevant because that's even further down the line. So obviously, it's there's not going to be any writing going on for it right now. But again, that one is, first of all, Superman legacy is not coming out until 2025. So that's far enough away as it is. Creature Commandos is supposed to be even longer after that. So I, I really wouldn't worry about Creature Commandos right now. All right, what's next? From uh, Ronaldo Mitsuporto again. With the success of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the Super Mario Brothers and eventually uh, and the eventual great box office of Across the Spider-Verse, do you think Lucasfilm will consider making a Star Wars animated movie again? Hard to say. Ray, if you can look up the, the box office results for Star Wars Clone Wars, the movie, not the TV show. Um, they, it wasn't, you know, all that long ago. I mean, it was a number of years, but I mean, not all that long ago that they did try to put out an animated film and it, first of all, the film was terrible. 68 and that, million. How much worldwide? 68. $68 million worldwide. Not opening weekend, $68 million worldwide. Um, it was a terrible, 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 awful garbage movie. And that I'm sure it hurt, but it also may have suggested that, you know what? The audience isn't necessarily looking for animated Star Wars. I, I mean, I don't know. It would definitely be really risky of them to try it. Look, just because an animated film does well, that does not mean any animated film will do well, right? We had Toy Story making a billion dollars in the box office, and then another animated film could come out and make $120 million. Like, it's, it's a medium. It's not a genre. So I'm not sure that Lucasfilm is looking at the success that Mario had or that across the Spider-Verse may have and say, oh, there's a direct correlation. If we make an animated movie, it'll have those results. I, I don't think they're looking at it that way. But listen, they have been playing more and more with animation with Star Wars Visions. Of course, they brought back Clone Wars for an extra season. I mean, so it's definitely on the table. I, I just don't know that they would want to make that jump anytime soon because their most recent attempt at a theatrical thing did not go well for them. All right, what's next? That's it. That's it. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Camby Show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much. 
for your support. Guys, you've reached the end of another week. I hope you have a fabulous weekend planned ahead for yourselves. Also, by the way, for all of you guys who are our beloved channel members, we do have a channel members only town hall meeting. We got some announcements we're going to be making to you guys who are our channel members. That's going to be coming a little bit later this afternoon. Keep an eye on the community tab for what time that's going to be starting at. We'll see you guys then. So for everybody in the room, Ray, Jen, Jonathan running the show, the delightful Chris Carr. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.